Welcome back to another episode of MJ's Progress Not Perfection. Today's guest is Rick. Rick is what we call a real deal alcoholic, somebody who was a 30 plus year drinker, you know, almost an everyday drinker for 30 years. And, you know, I'm going to let him get into the story because it's a, it's a good one. You know, Texas boy who just found drinking in biker gangs and going over to Mexico and walking across the border over to Juarez and partying it up. So I'm going to let him get into that for you. You're going to notice the first couple of minutes. I don't know what happened with Skype. For some reason, my camera wasn't on. I don't know what happened. So it's just Rick for a couple of minutes. I can't change that. But either way, I'm there. My voice is there. You're going to see it and hear it. But actually, if you're listening to this, then you're going to be even more confused by all that because you're not watching it. But it is what it is. Enjoy the episode. All right. Yeah, we're we're dealing with Ida right now, where we are in PA. It's crazy right here. Like we're getting like six inches of rain, like where we live, and we live like right behind, right by the Susquehanna River, so we get flooded out like crazy around here. Wow. So yeah, um, but I'm in the studio all day because I can't do anything at home. My wife's at home; she has MS, so she can't go out in this. So I said, well, I'm gonna go in and just try to be productive today, since not many people are gonna come to meetings today with this rain. Yeah, that's true. You know. All right, so. <clears throat> All right, we'll get started because I don't I don't want too much background info because then I'll end up asking you too many questions that I'll want in the interview anyway. All right, so welcome to the show, Rick. I appreciate you coming on with me. You go by Rick, right? Yes. Okay, good. Um, now, how much clean time do you have? I'm sitting on. We can in three more days. We could call it nine months. Oh well, congrats. Um, Thank you. Is this your first time trying to get clean? Uh. No. no, no, it's not. It's probably probably my fourth time, and this is the longest. Uh, all the other times were pretty much just uh, slowing the pace down, not just completely, you know, going cold turkey, but it was like, you know, going from because at one point I was um, oh, oh, close close to an eighteen pack almost every other day, so. I would tone it down to like a six every other day or something like that, but never cold turkey like this. Okay. So you did, you, so you were a drinker. Oh, heavy drinker. Okay. So yeah, that was my next question was, you know, what your drug of choice was. So it was alcohol was your downfall. Yes. Okay. All right. So that helps me out here. How, how long were you drinking for? Like when did you start drinking? Oof. So... First, first ever drink. That were first, not even, yeah, not like a sip, not like your parents, like, oh, at a party, I had a sip. Like, first time you were like, I'm going to get drunk or I'm going to drink. Yes. Uh, so I, I'm from El Paso, uh, Texas, and uh, I, I had, I was probably maybe a junior in high school. And uh, my best friend, you know, he had older cousins and they would have graduation parties. And the first time I had my drink was, uh, during one of those parties, uh, one of the uncles, you know, made me, uh, God, what was it? I think a white Russian or something like that. And that's pretty much what I drank all night. And that, you know, the, um, just the flavor of the drink is kind of what, you know, why I love the alcohol. And then, you know, what comes with the alcohol is the euphoria, you know, of the alcohol. Yeah, and it is quite the sensation when you're a teenager, when you're discovering something like alcohol for the first time, especially if you're somebody who's trying to escape anyway, and you find something like that, 
then it's really like, you know, oh, this is what I've been looking for. Yes. I I found it. This is what I've been missing my whole life. Okay, here it is. Now, um, going back even before that, were you around alcohol at all growing up? Like your parents drinkers at all? Yes. Um, Okay. Father father was a heavy drinker. um, And, you know, he he would drink. He was working class, blue collar. And, you know, he had. I want to say Bush, Bush Light or Natty Light. And I tried those and it tasted, they, they were awful. Yeah, I mean, you know, Nat, I, Natty and Bush. I mean, let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I got my, you know, like you said, a sip here, a sip there. And I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not doing this beer thing. It's it's awful. No, it was, it, it, he was a heavy drinker, but he was blue collar. So it was more like go to work, come home, have some drinks have some beers after work or was it like a problem too that like spilled off into you eventually um no you know he he was a heavy drinker he'd come home did it spill off into me um i mean i'm a i'm a believer i'm i'm in the camp that you know alcohol is hereditary Mm -hmm. so what was did i drink because i saw him drink and it was fine and i thought it was fine no i think it was I, i think it had biology was involved i don't think the the concept of because he did it and i i'm gonna do it yeah it wasn't like he was a bad drunk to where you were like fearful when he would be drinking you just knew he was drinking or was it like that no it it was like that it was like that so but i'm I'm still in the camp that it's biological i mean because i saw him drink i didn't like the way he was drinking and um you know, during those years, you know, I'm going to, if I'm going to drink, I'm not going to get as bad as, as he did. Yeah, I got you. Okay. Now, when did like drinking become like almost an everyday thing? So 17, you're a junior. So did you get into drinking every day in high school or was it later on that you were like, you were medicating with alcohol? It, it was probably, wow, my senior year. Um, I would hang out with friends right, right off right before graduation you know i would be hanging out with all my friends you know every other weekend every weekend almost and we'd all get together and drink at my friend's house because his parent his his parents or his mother um was okay with us drinking as long as she kept an eye over us and yeah you know it almost became acceptable as long as a parent was there you can do it as long as you're in the house yes uh, one of those things and that does work for a lot of people. You know, I, you know, I know a lot of people that I, I wasn't one of them. I wasn't allowed to drink with my parents. You know what I mean? Like I was the oldest, so they didn't know. And it was more strict. So then I was more rebellious, you know? And then by the time they get to my brother, they're like, you know what? You can have friends sleep over and you can be in the basement, you know? And then they get to like my sister and they're like, yeah, you can have parties, you know, because they know it's going to happen. You yes. know, they, they learned from each kid as they went down that, oh, this is going to happen. We might as well just like just supervise and keep an eye on it because when we didn't keep an eye on JD and we told him no, he became an alcoholic and an addict, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Like I got alcohol poisoned at 16. Wow. You know, I, uh, I drank a fifth of Bacardi O in 10 minutes. Oof. When we were in the woods, I haven't drank that since. It's one of those things that I could never drink again. And, you know, my dad was smart. He took my 13-year-old brother to the hospital with him to see me 
this way, you know, my brother would be like, all right, I don't want to drink for a while. You yeah. know, I think he didn't have his first drink till he was like 16 because, <laughs> because of being traumatized, being seeing me in there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I had my first drink at 11 and, you know, started medicating basically at 12, but not like drinking every day, but like escaping with it. Like, oh, I had a bad day. Let's let's drink, you know, and that was like my escape. Um, did you ever get anything else or are you just like, you know, what we call a real deal alcoholic? Uh, no, re- real deal. Alcoholic. Real deal. Okay, yeah. Because, like, I identify as an alcoholic because alcohol led me to pills. You know, like, I, alcohol was a problem for me. I didn't lose control, but alcohol did eventually stop working, and I sought, you know, pills. You know what I mean? I got into them for a decade after, you know, a decade of drinking. So, you know, whenever I meet somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, I'm like, what kind of alcohol? You know, because, like, there's a lot of people like yeah. me, you know, we identify as an alcoholic. But, you know, it's because we go to AA and they don't want us to say addict in the AA meetings, you know. Yeah. Depending on, you know, which – did you go, get into the program? You know, we're going to bounce around, so that's fine. I like a real conversation. Yeah, no, I, I got into the program uh, early on um, or, or this last this last go around. The other times that it, when I tried to quit and I said I'm going to quit, you know, I, I would talk about it, you know, you know, with the wife, I would tell her, you know, this time, this time I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to AA. I never did. But then I would just do the, the really, really cr- slow crawl out of drinking. And then it would just ramp right back up after, um, you know, two, three weeks, maybe, maybe even a month. I just ramp it right back up. Can you even see me? Okay. Well, I don't there. know. There we go. I don't know what was happening. I, I just realized I wasn't on screen. <laughs> That's weird. Okay. Well, the viewers will understand. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to start over. That's fine. Um, all right. Here we go. That's better. I was like, man, why does it say I'm off? All right. So um, I'm sorry. I got I lo- so you got into AA this time. Just yes. Go around you. The other three times when you tried quitting, it was more like white knuckle in it. It was like, uh, I'm just going to quit and cold turkey. Just, I'm done with it. And then how long you would go a couple of days or a couple of months and then fall out? Uh, I would go like long stretches of days. I, I wouldn't even go months or weeks. I would go like maybe um, maybe a week, no drinking. And then, at, you know, towards the weekend, I'd have a, a six pack and then wait another week, no drinking and then a six pack. And then maybe on the third week, I just ramp right back up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the, I always, I I have to give like what I call real, like the alcoholics credit because we talked about it somebody else and I recently that like, you know, I can go into 7-Elevens and convenience stores and not worry that pills are behind the counter. You know, I don't have to see pills everywhere I go that I loved, you know? Mm -hmm. So like I, you know, I don't have that. I, I am powerless to alcohol once I start it. You know, once I start drinking, I lose yes. that power and I lose that control. Um, but when I'm when I go a stretch, like right now, I'm 18 months alcohol free. And when I go a stretch like that, it gets easier and easier to be around it and be okay with it. You know, like I'm three years clean from pills and 18 months, you know, sober from alcohol. And I can just like go into a store and see alcohol. I'm like oh, that would probably taste good, but it's not going to end well for me, you know, and just move on with my day. 
<clears throat> but if I was pills, I that that's a real that's a powerless feeling. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand that. I mean, I think they do understand. You know, I see those things on Facebook all the time. Like, well, would you give up? Would you give up alcohol for life for three million dollars? You know, like that kind of shit. Like you ever see those posts? Like, would you ever stop buying alcohol? if Someone yeah. gave you a million dollars. You could never <laughs> yeah. buy alcohol. And everyone's like, no, I could never. It's like, damn, why didn't someone really give out that money? Because there's a lot of us <laughs> that actually <laughs> that could. You know, yeah. people don't real, people don't realize that it actually, you know, you can have fun without alcohol. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, I I we I quit drinking um, on February 29th of 2020, and uh, right two weeks before COVID, my wife and I both just like woke up on leap day, hungover. And, you know, we were like, fuck it, we're done. Like, I don't want to drink. She didn't want to drink anymore. And then we missed having meetings. You know, she's not, she didn't want to go to AA, um, you know, and she has her own, you know, thing. And I, I at the time, was using cannabis in my recovery for getting off pills. So AA wasn't a big fan of that. So that's how we started our own meeting center, you know, eventually when you know, COVID's still going on. But, you know, in, in July, we opened a meeting center where we live in Pennsylvania. So we get to do our own kind of meetings, you know, because the meetings are important. You know, yeah. support groups are important. Having support, like when you're quitting alcohol or drugs, you should have an outlet. You should be going somewhere. I don't care if it's AA, NA, CA, any kind of A or a smart recovery or Zoom meetings. Talk to other people. You know, you it, they keep you accountable. You know, like I... And that's why having people that are new coming into programs are so important because I was talking to my sponsee today and he had to take his you know, mother-in-law to the hospital. She has cancer and stuff. And, you know, he's like, I'm just glad I can show up for people today. And I'm like, yeah, man, like you showing up to me for meetings or texting me, this is helping me. It keeps me accountable too, you know? And it's so important that people need to know, like today's the first day of recovery month for September. And it's important that people in recovery know that, like, you don't have to do it on your own. You know, we isolated in our drinking and our using. We did that alone. We yes. don't have to do this part alone. It's, yeah. it's not fun. But doing it with others, it's fun. Doing recovery with other people is a fun thing. You can have fun in sobriety. Yes. Um, when, when did your – so senior year, we're going to bounce back now. Senior year now, you're starting to drink more and more towards graduation and now you're graduating high school. Is that like really when you're like full blown, like, oh, I'm drinking every day now. It's the summer. I'm done school. No, that that probably happened. So uh, single single parent family, uh, uh, my brother and sister and I uh, were with my father and my father worked overnights. Uh, he worked overnight at a at a refinery. And so we didn't have supervision. We We almost didn't have any supervision. He'd be at work overnight, um, and during the day, he'd be asleep. So, you know, we got to see him, you know, maybe four hours out of, out of every day. In so the afternoons, was, yeah. yeah. So I, I was the adult in that house. Um, so, you know, I would sneak out. You know, this was before Ring and security cameras and <laughs> where, where you could actually sneak out of the house. Um, I remember those days. <laughs> And, uh, so I would sneak out of the house and go drink with buddies. Um, but it, it, that was every other weekend, but it didn't get full blown until I moved out. And that was probably about 19. I moved out of the house. 
uh, wanted to go do my own thing, you know, and then, you know, him, him, you know, drinking. And then I'm pretty sure with my teenage angst, you know, throw more fuel in the fire, wanted to do my own thing. So I got my own apartment, um, had a, had a really, really good paying job at the time for, for being as young as I was. Um, so I had spare change, you know, Yeah. I, I was throwing money, um, around and so I, I would go pick up my best friend and you know we'd go I looked um I looked 21 because this was already I think um yeah it, it'd been maybe a couple of years uh since it went from 18 to 21 at the time but I, I looked 21 and I knew certain places you know every, every town has one of those places where you know you can go in there and they're not going to card you so that's where we would go, and um, there was a local bar, like a biker bar, and we tried, we said, hey, let's go see if we could get in there. I mean, if we can't, they're going to tell us no, and we got in there, um, so we started drinking, and then we sh- we said, hey, let's go, let's see if this is a fluke. Let's go in there tomorrow, went in there the next day, and then we became regulars, so I was, I think I want to, I was 20, and my best friend was like eight months right behind me so here we are drinking in a biker bar and they're not carding us and that's that's when it got out of hand yeah when you can get accepted you know what i mean and you're drinking early on like it's a funny thing that people don't realize like when you have that kind of power at like 1920 to drink like you're an adult mm-hmm. you know you take advantage of it real fast yes um I, I was just telling somebody, like, I remember one time, like, I lived right outside of Philly, so we would go to Flyers games all the time, and I remember one time we were leaving the stadium, it was like 5 of 10, and I called a liquor store that I went to all the time, I was 20 years old, and I called the liquor store, and I said, hey, it's JD, you know the guy that works at Best Buy that always comes in there? They're like, yeah. I'm like, hey, we're leaving the, the Flyers game right now, can you stay open late for us? We need some beer. He said, yeah, man, no problem, we'll see you soon. So, like, I'm underage, and I'm calling the liquor store with that much confidence (laughs) that, you know, stay open for me. I'm going to go buy stuff. And the crazy thing is, like, no wonder why they didn't card me ever, because two years later, I found out they got busted for selling Percocets out of there the entire time. They were selling pills out of that liquor store. And the only thing that upset me was that I was also a pill addict, and I didn't know that I could have went there for my pills. Too, the entire, <laughs> I'm seeing multiple people on my drives home. I could have just been one-stop yeah. shop. <laughs> a, a two-for-one, yeah. But, you know, when you get that kind of confidence going, it's funny what we do. It's like you keep going yeah. to the biker bars in your 1920, and, you yeah. know, I'm just calling up a liquor store, asking them to stay open late for me just to buy some beer. You know, you get that kind of, like, entitlement. Yeah. You know, and alcohol gives you that, like – entitlement let's be real like especially when you're that age you feel on top of the world when you're doing that shit i can't even imagine at a biker bar you're about you're around a bunch of like you know hard-ass people down down in el paso texas like they're they're on spring chickens down there they're pushing some biker crank out of there too like they're like oh that 20 year old drink is the least of our problems we just don't want the cops here because all the crank were rolling out the back And you know they had live they had live bands there, and at the time, me and my buddy were in in a garage band, so you know we saw it as a that not only were we drinking, we were networking um 
so and then with all our friends who are still our age and un, underage for drinking you know we were the cool guys because we're drinking at a biker bar you know yeah so you're right it's that empowering you know hey look at us we're you guys are still outside you guys get carded because you got baby faces but me and yeah. me and my brother are walking right in yeah we're owning the place you know we're yeah. friends with all the bartenders they like us yeah. you know yeah yeah come come me when you're 21 you know you get that kind of like you know that it's a weird thing man and it's almost too much power for a 20 year old to possess yeah. to be able to do stuff like that you know and that's sometimes when you go off the rails really easily because you start feeling like you're controlling everything when really there's no bottom and you're just like falling apart you just don't even know it yet yeah um so so now you're going to the biker bars all the time when does it escalate because it has to escalate oh man it it escalated multiple times there were uh there you, got any stories? For... you got any stories for me from a biker bar that were an escalation? Because I always like hearing a story here and there. Uh, this is sad, pathetic stories. Uh, yeah, I, I remember one time, you know, blacking out. And uh, I don't remember blacking out one time. I remember blacking out multiple times. Um, there was this one time where I know somebody was tapping my shoulder and I was at the urinal. And I don't know how long I was at the urinal. And the guy next to me goes, hey, bud, are you all right? And I, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm all right. That's the only thing I remember. And you were Just underage. If I was, yeah, if yeah. I was if I was all right at the urinal. And I, I guess I'd been standing there an hour. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, there had been a couple of times where... Um, you know, I, my first vehicle was a uh, Oldsmobile and, um, you know, all metal. And, you know, I've, you know, I'd go over uh, those concrete uh, dividers in the parking lot. And oh, yeah. I, yeah, I trashed stuff like that, you know, um, just blacking out a lot. Um, and then, you know, next weekend, you know, do it right back again. You know, so like you, it was not. So you were you were like good during the week. You wouldn't you wouldn't party too much during the week, or how how often were you going to that bar? So we would go. Um, so I I I worked for Pepsi at the time, and that that was a job that was paying well. Um, so I only worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So I would you know, funny thing I'd go start drinking those days, those days that I would, I'd be working. Uh, I show up on Thursday, drink, show up on Friday, drink, show up on Saturday, drink, and then maybe Sunday. And then I wouldn't drink Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, but I might hang out with, with my bud and, you know, we'd go, um, uh, if for whatever reason, my uncles hear this, uh, podcast, um, uh, they're going to kill me, but, uh, my family owned a body shop. And the body shop had a good sized parking lot uh, in front of it. And there was, you know, cars that they would be working on that they didn't have to lock up behind the gates. And I just parked my car right there. So if a cop was passing by, he'd see automotive body shop with all these cars parked. And I had a perfect place to, to drink without anybody, you know, knowing. Um, so if, you know, if I wanted to find a place to drink that I didn't, but I didn't want to go to the biker bar, me and my bud, we just go by you know 
maybe 10 Mickey's Mickey courts and just drink right there in the parking lot. When's the first time you were like, all right, this is an issue. Like what, what was the, like, was there like an event that like happened, you know, where you're like, Oh, I have a problem with this. Um, so like with, with uh almost every almost every drunk because i you know i don't want to feel alone and shameful but you know when you get to that point you just piss yourself really you're so fucking drunk that you know you just you piss yourself there's been a couple of times you know the blacking out earlier when i was uh younger you know i would just black out um now that i you know i'm i don't know what was it old you know, being older, old age, whatnot, you yeah. know, bladder. there'd be a couple of times, you know, bladder, uh, I'd wake up and just, I'd be like, Oh shit. I just pissed myself. How the fuck did that happen? Um, that's, that's when you realize you, you know, you, you start having a, you know, you start having a problem. You're like, I got to make some life changes. This is, this is total bullshit. Um, I shouldn't wake I, up with wet pants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I would wake up, you know, soaking wet and I'd be like, God, you know, what am I doing? What am I doing to myself? And, you know, that's when I would go sober for like a week or two. And then, you know, something life would happen and, you know, you go back to drinking saying, fuck this. I mean, there's fucking stress is killing me. You know, next, next, you know, next time I'll make it to the restroom, but you know, I got, I got to have a drink cause you know, I'm not having it today. Yeah. Yeah. I hear it. So what made you decide to go to AA then? So um, there was uh, there was one time where um, my mother-in-law was staying with us. And um, my mother-in-law's, you know, hardcore traditional Spanish, uh, uh, Mexican Spanish. Um, <clears throat> I got totally drunk. My wife was working overnight at the hospital. You know, I was working three jobs so she could go to um, school. She gets a job to work at a hospital overnight. Um, and I'm there with the kids and the mother-in-law. And I got so, my garage is, you know, the man cave. So that's where, that's where dad hangs out and chills. And, you know. Your you bar know, was set up in there. Um, no, I had a kegerator in there. Even better for you. Yeah, I had my whole keg. Um you know, what was that, your drink by this time? Because I'm sure it wasn't Mickey's, and I'm sure it wasn't Natty and Bush like your dad. <laughs> so it was uh, Lone Star, which is out here in Texas. It's the equivalent of uh, natural I mean, light. Yeah, it's yeah, but it's the fresh one though, because at least it's made there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like whenever when I was in Amsterdam, like I smoked a lot. Let's be real. But when I went to dinner, you know, I got Heineken, and I won't drink Heineken, and I, well, I won't now, but I wouldn't drink Heineken in the States. I didn't like it. But in Amsterdam, Heineken tasted amazing because it's so fresh, you know, yeah. that's where they make it. So I could imagine Lone Star, it's the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah Lone Star is the drink of choice. Um, one thing that kind of led to the point where I was that much closer to, to making a change was... Um, Maybe three months before I completely gave it up. About three months. This was around maybe a little. It might have been right before Thanksgiving or right after Thanksgiving, but not not close enough to Christmas. So my wife, not my wife, my daughter um, has an eating disorder. 
Um, and at the time she was going through treatment, she just came out for her second time with an eating disorder. And um, I was drinking, you know, an IPA. Um, I was drinking all night. And right off the bat, I have bad acid reflux. So I'm drinking all night. And then um, I got so drunk that I threw up on myself and I threw up on the bed. My wife works overnight. She comes home and she looks at me and she's, you know, she's just like, she's just blowing up. She's not having it. And I, I don't blame her. Um, you Were know, you passed I, out. Like, I, I was passed out. I, so you threw I, up past, you could have died. I could have died. If you yeah. were on your back, you know, yeah. like, I know, you know, somebody that was like in her fifties and she ran a bar and she passed out. She like fell and like passed out on her back and choked on her own vomit and passed. I think it's caught up on the anniversary in a couple of weeks. So you get, you know, you got lucky. You were like on your yeah. stomach. It sounds like you're on your side. Yeah. Uh, I, I do tend to sleep a lot on my side. Um, so that's probably the only thing that saved me. Um, but one of the things that uh, is a trick is a trigger for uh, a young lady or specifically my daughter for uh, eating disorders. She had, uh, anorexia so throwing up to make themselves skinnier and there i was covered in my own you know throw up and had my daughter gone into the room you know and saw me with you know throw up all over myself that that could have triggered her into relapse um and we we'd been struggling with her eating disorder for about um two and a half years i so, feel like it's it starts with girls around like 13 14 and then yeah. Yeah, if it if it happens, it's right around the time that like boys start noticing you. Yeah, and you know, and usually because like I know a lot of girls that went through it, you know, and still like you know, I talked to somebody who was is ten years sober. She was on my second episode. She's ten years sober, but she went into treatment for bulimia when she was like four or five years sober. Um, you know, in her twenties, you know. Yeah. And you know, it takes what it takes. But how is your daughter now? Is she is she doing good with it? Oh, she's, uh, I want to say she's 90%, if if we have to put a, a grade on it, 90%, you know, in recovery. She still has some some struggles here and there, but, I mean, she's she's on the up and up. You know, That's she's, she, her, her school is her motivator, so that kind of is what keeps her going forward. And then that's, that's about the time that I realized, hey, you know, man, I, I got to do something. Meanwhile, I'm between that time and the time I finally gave it up, I'm, I'm still drinking, but I'm, I'm like, okay, look, you can't, you can't do what you just did because, you know, all the work she put in all the, um, uh, you know, all the, you know, road trips and because the facility she went to is not even in Austin, it's in Dallas. So we had to make trips back and forth. And that's a, that's a three hour drive every way, each, each way. So, you know, I, I told myself, you know, you got to change what you're doing because all the work I put in, you know, she, my daughter put in most of the work, but all the work me and my wife did with visiting her on weekends and driving back and forth, you know, I, I, I can't do this. Can't do this. You know? Yeah. And because your wife's I can't imagine your wife would even be a drinker at this point, considering she's working overnights. And then you're working during the day, so that means she needs to be sober to take the kids places and be the driver during the day. So mm -hmm. I can't imagine she was only drinking only like at social events at this point. 
pretty like, much, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm sometimes good at guessing. <laughs> so what made you decide? Was it somebody else that you knew that went to AA or it was just like the first thing that you thought of because that's like, you know. It, okay, so if I had to, I'm I'm, I'm bad with dates. But it, that's it, fine. It, it, it probably happened maybe two months before I quit. Two months before I quit. Um, I, you know, I just told myself, Hey, look, the hangovers, it's taking you, it's taking you two days to recover from a hangover. By this time, I'm already in my late forties. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm 49 right now. I just had my birthday just a couple of months back. Um, I'm 49. It takes me almost two, two full days just to recover from a hangover. Um, I'm not that functioning alcoholic guy I used to. Um, you know, there's, there's own, you know, I was eating ibuprofen, like, gum, you know, gummy worms, you know, just trying to get rid of the hangover and the headache and all that. I said, you, man, too much people have put in too much work to get my daughter going. Your hangovers are getting worse. It's harder to recover. Um, you got to do it. You got to do it right now. And I did. I told my wife, hey, I'm I'm calling AA. I found uh, this was in the middle of COVID. So we were having Zoom, you know, mm-hmm. Zoom meeting. Um, and I would show up uh, for like maybe three months, three months straight AA meetings every day. I think during those three months, let's call it 90 days. Um, I think I missed four days. Yes, yeah, so you were going for a 90 and 90, basically, yeah. you know, which is that the Zoom. So, like, I wasn't part of the AA era of Zoom because, you know, I was already out of AA by then and have my own thing. Um, how was the Zoom meetings for you? Um, I, you know, when when I when I was hearing the stories, because that's but you hear other people's stories, you kind of don't give your own opinion because that's not what you're there for. You know, you just hear other other people's stories when i heard their stories i was like you know for at first you know i'm going in i'm like uh shit i'm I'm gonna be the i'm gonna be the one guy with the craziest stories and then i just hear everybody else's i'm like the the middle guy you know what I mean? yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's goldilocks in there my bed is just perfect it's not too hot and it's not too hot or cold yeah. um but you can laugh at the stories there though yeah, you know, oh, it's yeah. it's a different kind of laughter when you're laughing together with other people at your misery. You exactly, know, it's a different. You're laughing with your stomach and not with your head. Yes, you know that's what I always say. Like you actually feel the laughter finally, like when yeah. you're in those meetings. And that 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 was the surprising part to me. Like the guys with the really worst stories, they're giggling about, you know, their stories, and I'm like, wow, if he could, if he could take this with a grain of salt, I mean, why can't I? Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you related in because like some people they go into AA and they're like, that's not me. I'm not that out of control. Yeah. You know, I didn't lose my job. I didn't get a DUI. No one asked me to be here. I don't have to be here. You know, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people, unfortunately, they relate out and it's your choice. You know, it's your choice to relate in. It's your choice to look for common denominators between you and whoever's talking at that point. Whoever's sharing, it's your choice to like you and I, you know. We grew up totally different, obviously. You're all the way down in Texas. I'm in the city, New Jersey, and Philly, you know, but I could relate to you the entire time we're talking. You know, I find ways to relate to anybody that I'm talking to. 
all my episodes, you go through them. I'm relating to everybody I'm talking to, and we all have different backgrounds, different stories, you know, different genetics, different everything. But when you want to relate in, when you truly want to find ways to relate to somebody, you will. You have to be willing to look for those things. And if you're not willing to be in a meeting and all you want to do is just go there to appease somebody else because somebody else wants you in a meeting, in your head you're going to be relating out the entire time and not learning anything. So, like, to anybody that is thinking about going to AA, go there with an open mind and find ways to relate because that's where the joy is. When you can relate to somebody else with your misery, you laugh your fucking ass off. It mm-hmm. is a great feeling to know that you did shitty things and so did somebody else, and now we can laugh about it. Because that's literally all we can do at this point. We can't change what we did. We can't yeah. go back. We can apologize. We can atone. We can do penance. If you want to go back to Catholic stuff, we can do penance. We can do a lot of things, but we have to laugh in order to gain acceptance. You yeah. know, when you can laugh at your own shit because you can't change it, then you can accept it a lot easier. And once you accept something, as you know, you move on. It's lifted off your shoulders. You have control over it. So, yeah. I, you know, that's did you um find a sponsor? How long did it take you to be like, all right, I'm in this? So, uh, man, I, I here's the weird thing is I, I never found a sponsor and I just stopped going. I just stopped going. And it wasn't because I couldn't relate to anybody. It just, I stopped going. Um, uh, never found the sponsor. And um, it's almost like I'll find the sponsor. I'm going to go back tomorrow. Um, tomorrow showed up. Okay, I still need to get a sponsor. And then for sure tomorrow. And then that was just the excuse every day. Um, why? Why have I not gone back to drinking and why why am I still sober, you know, almost nine nine months later? Um faith. Faith kinda has faith has a lot to do with it. And then also the just that switch in my in my head flicked where um the wasted time. And I think that's that's what hits the hardest. All the wasted time because my oldest the oldest son uh, now he moved out. He's 19. My second son just turned 18 a couple of days ago. Um, and we had, I had, I, I was the favorite parent. <laughs> so uh, I guess that's, that's where the happy drunk leads in, you know, out of the two parents, I was the, uh, uh out of the two, um, parents. Um, a lot of the kids came to me for stuff. Um, probably because especially with money, you know, Dad's not mm-hmm. going to say no because he's a little yeah. tankered. Yeah. Um, How many drinks dad had? Go, yeah, go <laughs> ask him. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> Can I sleep over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. But um, faith has a lot to do with it. And just the, the, the switch of knowing that I wasted so much time. Um, you know, I think about it. You know, my relationship with both my boys could have been a whole lot better if I was more involved rather than just you know yeah 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 whatever just go away i'm drinking you know um i rarely i've i've never laid a hand on on the kids you know um while i was drunk i was i was i wasn't the violent drunk i think i got you know when you're when you're drinking and 
you know, my wife told me lots of times, you know, she was scared because I would raise my voice a lot at her. And I'm not denying that I, I never did that. Um, you know, I, I never physically put my hands on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, because one, one, because, you know, I didn't want it to get to the point where my dad was, was abusive when he was drinking. And I said, I'm never going to be like my dad, but here I am getting, you know, shit faced. Um, I'm never going to be that parent. Um, and I forgot where I was going with this, but yeah, um, uh, I wish I could have had a better relationship with, with my kids so much wasted time, you know, where my, my, my daughter loved singing. My oldest daughter loved singing and she would just sing around the house and she, you know, she would take requests. Um, my youngest loved, um, uh, Play-Doh and just fixing things with her hands. And, you know, I could have shown her, you know, Hey, you know what, here's the tools in my, in my shed, you know, whatever you need, a screwdriver, put stuff together. Uh, both my boys loved, you know, playing basketball and hooping. I could have joined a game with them, but I was, I was the, Hey, you know, there's a basketball goal goal in the uh, in the driveway. You know, you got both of you. You know, that's that's why I had two boys. You guys go play. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna sit here in in the man cave in the garage and drink. You know. Yeah. Well, you can't you can't take back what's happened. Yes. You know what's happened's happened. You exactly. Know? And you and acceptance is a big part of that. Accepting the fact that you can't change that shit, that's mm-hmm. a big deal. Um, and if you ever do find yourself close to a drink again, just now that you know. COVID, you know, their meetings again in person. Going to in person meeting is so much better than doing like an online meeting. I never did an online meeting, but I already know it is. You know what I mean? Because doing the in person meeting, the coffee's made, you know, you sit down and you're talking, you're actually looking at people. You're talking to people. You're not like hitting a mute button. You're not, you know, distracted because you're at home. Being, it's almost like when the kids are doing homeschool, like last year during COVID, as opposed to going back to school this year. You know, it's a lot different of an environment where you can actually learn and take things from. Um, and I'm not even in AA anymore, like I said, you know, but I got a lot out of it. Um, I got I still use the steps daily in my life. I went through the steps, you know, within like a, my first like two months of being sober, I was done. And it changed my life, you know, and I and I stopped believing in religion, you know, when I was like 18, I stopped caring about Catholic Church and going to church and all that shit. But now I am more spiritual, you know, Mm -hmm. and the difference between spirituality and religion is people who are religious, they fear God, they fear hell. And people who are spiritual, usually they've been to hell and back. You know, you've seen hell, you know what I mean? You know what it can be like, you know, you're not afraid of it. You've been there, you know, and to me, that's the difference. And someone said that to me and it blew my mind. I'm like, yeah, that, okay. That makes sense to me. It does. (laughs) So if you ever find yourself in that shaky, like I'm, I'm, I'm having a tough one for me, hit a meeting. It's amazing. I loved going to meetings. Um, but yeah, whenever, when you're feeling like it, man, it, going to an actual meeting is leaps and bounds. And like I said, I never did the Zoom. I just know the feeling I got from going to a meeting and looking other alcoholics in the eyes and having that kind of confidence of being like, oh, I'm I'm this sober and so are you. We have, you know, some wisdom to help other people now. Because sometimes you don't go to meetings for you. You go to meetings for somebody else. You go to meetings to help somebody that was like you that just walked in the door. 
you know, the people that have 40 years sobriety and they still go to meetings every day, they're not going for them. They're going to make sure that they can help somebody else be accountable. Yeah, on their second day. Yeah, you, you know, and it, it is a really good reminder too when you see somebody walk in drunk or in it and still like withdrawn and still having a tough time early on, and you see them sitting there and they're in their head the entire time, and you can read it on their face that they're lost. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a really good feeling to be able to say, "Hey, you know, I was like you. You know, you're not alone. If you need anything, let me know. Here's my number." Yeah, and. And you get a lot of great, you know, bonds out of that. So, you know, just a recommendation. If you find a meeting in the area, even if you go once a week, because now you've got nine months, you know, even if you go once a month, you know, it's a totally different, you know, environment in person and you help other people. And that's that's what's you give it back. That's part of the 12 steps. The 12 yeah. step is giving it to somebody else now, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it is, you know, I and now I don't go to AA, but I do group meetings for addiction, you know, twice a day here. And we do other kind of meetings too, like what's today, Wednesday. So tonight's harm reduction night, you know, and, you know, let, Saturdays are trauma. Every night's a different theme at 6.30, but at 9 a.m. and 8 p.m. every day, we call them mental health check-ins. And they're for anybody who needs to talk, whether you're an addict or whether you're dealing with some kind of like you're bipolar, you have a disability, just you want to talk, come on in. You know, and we do morning meditations every day at 1015. So we do a lot of different things than AA does, but like it's about the group. It's, yeah. you know, it's about that that makes a big difference. So, you know, just think about it. I'm not harping on I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm just saying you would feel even like if you feel good now, mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to be on a totally different kind of pink cloud of happiness and freedom and joy just by actually like sitting in there. And not even on a Zoom. That that kind yeah. of room, that atmosphere, you feel it. And it's like being in the bar. I swear, it's gonna like it's gonna. It feels like you're being in a bar. The only difference is you're drinking coffee and water, and you're not drinking beers. <laughs> the people yeah. are the same. Yeah. The people are the same. The conversations are the same. It's the same yeah. kind of banter and rhetoric. Everything. The only difference mm-hmm. is what we're, what's in our hand and what we're putting in our bodies. Yeah. But they're all right. the same people that you went to the bar with you know, at the bar stools and you're sitting around having conversations, you know, technically this is a meeting one-on-one, two people having a conversation is a meeting according to AA's, you know, bylaw and their rules. Yeah. That's how, that's how it started was, you know, Dr. Bob and Bill sitting down having a conversation. That yeah. was the first meeting. So, you know, it, it does, it is a big deal. Like it is a big difference, I should say in person compared to like online. And that's why I never did the online. Cause I, I like, talking to people like next to me you know yeah. I, I like being i like doing the whole like whisper kind of thing like you know like did you hear that like you know like and i like whispering to somebody next to me like a buddy you know yeah. and having like inside jokes with somebody it's like being in school again you know yeah. or or I, or I would find the person that like i was friends with and i was always trying to make them laugh uncontrollably during a meeting you know and just to have fun you know mm-hmm. and just you know if it wasn't a serious meeting or a serious topic you send a funny meme across the room and they look at their phone. And you see them start laughing. It's like, yeah, I got them, <laughs> you know, but it's yeah. a fun, it's a fun hour. It's a fun hour. Um, and this was a fun hour. I appreciate talking to you, man. I appreciate you coming on and telling your story um, because everyone has different kinds of recovery. Everyone has different kinds of, you know, years of drinking or years of using. So <laughs> it's okay that our recovery looks different. It's okay yeah. that you're not going to AA. 
you know, these are all okay. You know, as long as you have something, you have family, you have faith, those are all important things, you know. And if you ever start feeling like you're slipping, hit a meeting before you hit a bar. That's yeah, all, I, you know. I still carry my blue book. I, I have the, uh, I have the, just the, uh, the smaller version with the 10 or the 12. And then I, I, I still carry my blue book around me. Um, funny note, um, nine months sober and I, I'm, I'm already in my uh, ninth year working for a beer distributor company. <laughs> Impressive. I mean, you know, I, I'm nine, nine months sober, uh, nine years with, with uh a a beer distributor the uh you know i i smell broken beer every day and it just you know i i overcome it it's a funny thing that's awesome yeah if you can look at it and then be able to like i don't i don't want or need that right now yeah yeah that's a yeah. powerful thing i always go back to the waste of time you know yeah you, you can have one drink but what, what are you going to waste now what are you yeah. going to miss and and is it really going to be one yeah, exactly. Is it is it really, you know, yeah. there, you know, a guy always said to me, um, like, we have the choice right now. We have the choice not to drink right now. But as soon as I take that one drink, I lost that choice. It doesn't matter. This disease of addiction and alcoholism doesn't care who you are. Yeah. It doesn't care how old you are or who you are. Yeah. You know, and the it, the mind is a powerful thing that people forget about like just because we can't see our brains doesn't mean it's not a powerful thing mm -hmm. you know so we you have to remember that we have that choice right now not to do it so if yeah. you can look at it and it'd be like i don't need that today i don't want that today that's that's amazing man that's yeah. awesome and especially for your family and i'm sure your wife's happier and you know everything's starting to fall back into place again that's 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 great dude yeah yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know I said an hour and we went over that. You know, I told you I'm chatty. So, but <laughs> I I appreciate you coming on. All righty. Thank but you. But yeah, and if you ever need anything else, man, if you ever want to talk or reach out, you, you have my info. You know, my phone is, I work from my phone. You know, it's always right next to me. If it's right next to me, I'm sleeping. And I'm an insomniac. Like, literally, I suffer from severe insomnia. So, mm -hmm. like, you know, I've been awake for two days right now. But wow. you, probably, you can't tell, like... I also have chronic pancreatitis, um, pancreatitis from my years of using and drinking. So, yeah. which causes then I had acute insomnia and now I have severe insomnia because of the pancreatitis is chronic, you know, yeah. either way, God bless you. And I'm happy right. you, you know, hopped on and we talked and congrats on nine months, man. That's, that's incredible. That's, you know, one day at a time, dude. One day at a time. Have a good day, Rick. All right. We'll see, see you later, bud. See you.